Hi, my name is Wayne Stender, and I'm the Director of Admissions at Hillcrest Academy. We've created this show for you to help you understand some of the things that are going on at Hillcrest. There will be interviews with Principal Isaac and President Hoganson, a number of different teachers and staff members, as well as some updates from students. You'll get a chance to hear some testimonies and in-classroom discussions that are going on at Hillcrest. This is done to help you, as a supporter of our school, really understand what's going on in your school. So we thank you for taking some time following up with Hillcrest, and we hope that you're encouraged by the show. This week, we're going to cover a few of the capstone experiences that are happening for students at Hillcrest. Last weekend, the students had the opportunity to go to Minneapolis. One group went on a worship tour and visited a few of the new up-and-coming cool churches that are happening down in Minneapolis. They spent time with the different worship leaders and worship teams, understanding how they could plug into a worship setting at a church, maybe in a different community, in a different area, but it gave them a perspective of how they can now be hands and feet using the training and the equipping that they've done at Hillcrest. Another group went with the Evangelism Club down on the light rail in Minneapolis. It was a really dynamic time, and I'm excited to allow you to listen in on some of the conversations that happened there. To close today, we're going to have Dawn Sinstelin share her testimony of how the Lord is speaking to her in the area of restoration as we make that final turn in our theme from creation to fall to redemption to restoration now through our theme square one. I'm excited to show you and have you listen in on some of the capstone experiences that we're starting to engage with the students here at Hillcrest Academy. talk to almost any student at Hillcrest about their chapel experience and they will inevitably bring up worship. Worship is a big part of the Hillcrest experience. The students spend all day in classrooms learning and hearing about God and they start to see the creative nature and work of the Lord in different areas of academia and different areas of the world. They get a chance to express themselves through art and music. But there's something about students in worship that is really dynamic and really draws the student body in. Well, there's a lot of different opportunities for students in worship here at Hillcrest, and Mr. Garvin took the students on a worship tour. I had the opportunity to sit down with a few students and Mr. Garvin to hear some perspectives on worship and what they learned in their worship tour. I think you'll be encouraged to hear some of the ways the students are engaging in worship, understanding their role in the church, and are being encouraged to think deeply about this opportunity and privilege that they get to lead their friends, their classmates, and also the Fergus Falls community in worship. It's an equipping capstone for them that as they leave this place, they have an affinity and an ability to lead worship in their home churches and in their local community. All right, well, I'm here with Mr. Garvin and some members of the worship team, and you guys took a little worship tour down to Minneapolis. So tell me a little bit about why you took that trip. Why does it matter um, for you to take the worship team on a tour like that? Yeah, I wanted to introduce um, just the way other churches uh, in the area um, uh, talk about, um, plan for, uh, integrate worship into into their church. Uh, so we were in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area. If they're going to go to uh, a metropolitan area, just what are, what are other churches doing? Um, and when I'm there, um, how do I how do I get integrated into the system? What is their process for um, for onboarding new worship members? And then so it, once we start there, once we see what's happening, now we can start asking questions about. 
the people that are already on those worship teams, where did they start? What kind of feedback would they give or what kind of advice would they give us as kind of burgeoning uh, musicians and, and worship leaders um, to kind of set us on a track to, um, to get to either where they are or someplace else in terms of, um, uh, in, in terms of worship? Trevor and Maria, you're from, um, Trevor, you're from Connecticut, and Maria from Norway, and you guys had a chance to go on this worship tour a little bit. And Maria, what were some of the things that you think being, because you come from a bigger school and or bigger church in Norway, what's yeah. kind of the, you, do you go to Tremor or what church do you go to? Uh, no, I go to something called Next Level in Bergen Flesherke. Okay, that sounds um, like a, you have a sickness, like an illness. <laughs> Did you sneeze? I'm sorry, <laughs> God bless you. <clears throat> Next Level. Okay, and so where we, is it located? Bergen Flesherke. Okay, I think you're Bergen making that up. Free but, Church. Oh, Bergen oh. Free Church. Okay, yeah, there you go. Totally makes sense now. Why didn't <laughs> no. you say that the first time? I don't know. I went in Norwegian. Yeah, <laughs> bad okay. choice, bad right, choice. Right, no, um, my dad's the lead pastor in that church, so he does uh, all the youth work. So hmm. I've kind of grown up in the church and um, kind of seen it develop and become bigger and bigger. And that's been pretty amazing. And then around ninth grade, I, well, I sang a lot at home and loved singing but mm-hmm. I didn't do it very public and stuff and my dad said that I should join the worship team first I was like no that's not happening but um because you heard yourself or <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no but, uh, uh, and then um my dad uh, talked to some in the church and because they were looking for people to do the worship and he said that I probably would be up for it mm-hmm. and they asked me and first I was like oh no and then I went and they heard thing and I liked it I think and yeah so I joined and it was just pretty amazing because mm-hmm. I felt like really in the church and I felt like I was a part of the church yeah and I think that helps a lot when you feel like you're part of something yeah so it became like it was fun to go to church because yeah. I knew that like that was a part of something you were contributing yeah and things and doing like that. something cool. and stuff like that so that was pretty amazing and I'm so happy that I joined yeah. was the worship kind of preparation for Bergen Free Church, the same as you kind of saw with these other churches, the bigger, um, kind of more production. Because those churches in Minneapolis, it does feel like a production. Am, mm. I, am I right in that? It's yeah, like kind of like a person. concert. Yeah. Like a concert. And um, yeah, pretty like when we went to those churches, I felt at home because it was like what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So we have like all the lights and, you know, all the intro videos where they have like cool videos of people skating and then the um, we who worship we come like we go up on stage and it's black and then suddenly when the song starts lights on so mm-hmm. you, i kind of sometimes feel like i'm in a concert and doing a concert which mm-hmm. is quite fun though yeah. and um and we have all the songs from like hillsong and yeah. um yeah other places hmm. and all the you know real love and yeah all the yeah Songs the real songs, not like the hymns. Like, <laughs> not the hymns. Not the, <laughs> not the songs that make people feel dead. <laughs> right? Is that what you're saying? Kind of. Kind of. Without really. sounding mean. Yeah. No, it's just like, well, we're youth. We're, we have like music with a lot of punch in it and like yeah. a lot of stuff like that. So we don't like listen to hymns mm-hmm. on our spare time. So I think like having the music that has like a punch to it and like makes you want to dance. That makes people like, oh, this is cool. Like, I could actually listen to this on my free time. Yeah. And stuff like that. And I think that's pretty amazing. Huh. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that because I don't remember what the statistic is, but 90% of the music that is downloaded today mm. is electronic dance music. Yeah. Do you I feel like that's because um, 
music right now is much more, I feel like we've evolved as a culture away from the sal- the sad, lonely love ballads, mm. right? And now we're like, in, we all have friends. <laughs> um, but that's kind of interesting, like, <coughs> thinking about EDM being um, being kind of the, maybe like um, Pastor Foss talked about during Prayer Day, kind of the song of your heart, mm-hmm. that there's, there is a maybe more of a desire or a hunger to dance. Yeah. Um, to, to dance kind of through life, to use a little bit of a metaphor with that mental image mm-hmm. of really moving through life rather than just being contemplative. And do you think that when we think about like even like worship, because for me growing up, I grew up in a hymn church. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of love hymns. Yeah, me too. But <laughs> there might be a part of me that's really dead and dark inside. And I know that's why I love them. But there's kind of a cool like contemplative, really thought-provoking uh, movement versus a lot of the music that it sounds like in those other worship services is kind of like let's get up let's get uh celebrating let's get dancing mm-hmm. almost a little bit like let's leave the week behind and now let's focus our attention on what the lord has for us or declaring the lord to be praised and i would even say project into the next week like let's yeah. let's go you know mm-hmm. the, the excitement <clears throat> of that sunday to like kind of revive how important is that then from you guys when we think of like worship being a reflection of us Mm. versus because i think that that might be kind of a clear delineate clear marker between like hymn music and hillsong and whatever Mm. is that uh worship is a reflection of us in this culture and the hymns we might not feel like we have anything you know, in alignment, you know, we're not Spafford sitting over a boat watching the place where our family went underneath the water, right? right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. Um, so there's kind of that difference. Is that How important is that for you when you come in to worship that it really needs to be a reflection of you and your culture? Well, you see, I think I really like to notice. So me being a Christian for all of my life, I've grown up in Christian home. Um, I look at the words, you know, I notice that mm-hmm. the importance of the song is in the words. So like, if mm-hmm. it's really like, oh man, this song, I just kind of read the words and like, that's how I get something out of it. But somebody being, you know, maybe new to Christianity or not a Christian at all, which is like what you said, Garvin, like those churches are kind of focused on the new Christians. I understand that to get them to realize the words, you have to get them into the music. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a lot of sense that it reflects the culture. Mm-hmm. But um, And that will lead to them noticing God through that. And so it reflects off of them. And then once they can get into it, mm-hmm. I guess. It, so that can be helpful. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think the words are what the mm-hmm. worship is all about. Yeah. But um, to realize that, I guess you have to be into the music. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think having like that type of music, it also makes it easier to like invite friends. Mm. So like for us, like, um, yeah, our age today, it's like if you invite your friend and then you go and sing hymns, they're not going to be like, oh, this is so cool. I want to be in this church. Mm -hmm. But if you come there and you kind of have like a party, but a party for Jesus, of course, it it makes them kind of like, it kind of draws them in. And I know this because I've like experienced it myself and I've taken friends to church and they've been like, whoa, this is cool. Like, not the kind of church they expect it to be. Like, Sunday morning when right. it's, like, everyone's half asleep and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is this real? Is this really what you guys do every Sunday? Yeah, and then it becomes... No, um, we do no, no I mean, that's what I'm saying, though. But that's what the friends say, right? I mean, that's yeah. the friends say. Yeah, and they're kind of, like, is... shocked. Whoa. And when they listen to the music, like, I have friends who aren't Christians. And 
I go through their playlist and they have worship music. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do you know this is worship music? And they're like, no, it's just cool music. And I think like sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Because maybe one day they'll actually listen to the right. words. So like, oh, they'd be like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And you hear like, we love or alive or wake mm-hmm. or any of those songs. Yeah. And suddenly you just kind of hear what actually the message is. And I think that will maybe like poke their interest and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And like Travis said about the words, like sometimes I love having like when I sing or when I listen to other sing, I love having the words there because mm-hmm. then I read them. And sometimes I just like start thinking about them. Yeah. Like in Reckless Love and mm-hmm. then No Mountain I Will Climb Up, all of those yeah. like amazing things. I'm like, whoa, there's nothing God won't do right. to get to me or to protect me or be with me. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah. I think that's important. How do you think... Um, because a lot of the critique then is uh, it, within a hymn, there's kind of a progression that you often will go through. So the first verse is a really kind of introductory. And then as you go second, third verse, fourth verse, it gets much deeper. And the, and the theme or the idea is really developed and, and unleashed a little bit. And in traditional worship music, you have a first verse and then kind of a stanza or like a, a stanza or like a pre-chorus. A, a pre-chorus. Mm. And... And sometimes the critique can be that, like uh, with Chris Tomlin's song, Good, Good Father, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mention anything about Jesus. So it could be in my playlist because I Mm -hmm. have a really great dad. And so (laughs) the the concept of a worship song and a hymn, uh, they're very, in many ways, they can be seen very differently because a hymn has a definite focus Mm -hmm. um, towards Christ. Whereas a worship song, it could just be that you start to sing, I mean, maybe even to your toaster, you know, like there is no hill that my toaster won't climb up <laughs> because every time I push that button down, it makes my bread golden brown, right? Like there could be that setting where we walk into and it, what, what is the difference here? Oh, it, it has to change probably with your attitude as you walk in to the service. So when you bring a non-Christian friend into mm. church... And they don't have a concept. And they're singing Good, Good Father or There's No Mountain, Reckless Love. Are they? Is there a point where they almost could be singing it to their damnation, right? Because mm. now they're just singing it for singing its sake. Right. Mm. Because it's cool and it's popular and I love this guitar riff. And it really becomes a lot more about the music than really about like who Jesus is. So when you kind of hear that kind of critique on kind of worship music versus him, what? How do you kind of take that in or or flesh that out? Thinking of like your non-Christian friends that might come to church and think through that. Yeah, um, something about the churches in Minneapolis I noticed was that they played secular music in like the lounge before you got into the um, mm-hmm. the sanctuary. sanctuary. And so, mm-hmm. and yeah, and they me, probably didn't use the word sanctuary, right? Was yeah, it like it the was auditorium, auditorium, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is? Um, so I don't know. I just I do disagree with that i understand why they do that but then like with this like are they focusing on the music or the words like what is actually the message here like you don't want to almost hide up what christianity really is it's like oh come it's a party but then like they don't really see what the point is Mm -hmm. i get the point of drawing them in but i just see it can be a dangerous line you're kind of yeah hopping right on the edge there and so i don't want to you don't want to like give the wrong message at the same time right and that's, yeah, it can be dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you kind of walk that line of you're so, like, heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. 
Yeah. But you can also maybe be so earthly minded that you're not really that much good mm. to heaven. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not driving them to a place. But I don't know, Maria, what do you have? Has there been any interaction like that with your friends or... Um, because a lot of times it is like kind of planting the seed or breaking the soil or tilling mm-hmm. the soil to get them into into a church service. But I think that sometimes, like f- from a Lutheran, maybe a little bit more of a Lutheran perspective, the church really is for the believers. It, it is a place for believers to grow. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the word is preached. And I think when you look at the New Testament, when the believers gathered together, they did weird things, right? Like, <laughs> we're going to break bread, and we're going to say it's somebody's body. And now we're <laughs> yeah. going to drink this wine, and it's somebody's blood. And the people on the outside are like, man, those Christians are cannibals. We're not going in there. We don't know who comes out, right? They, like, walk in there different, then there's fire on their head. Like, this happens. But I think, like, the church kind of, um, for, from kind of a historic standpoint or things like that, it was never really seen as an evangelistic tool. It was more seen as a place for believers to come, to come to a deeper understanding of Jesus. So you go to church really for more explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that there's a necessarily a right or a wrong perspective, but I mean more more of a kind of a perspective of being critiqued. Like, because mm-hmm. I do think that sometimes you can walk into an old Lutheran church and it can smell like it's an old Lutheran church and it can look like it's an old Lutheran church and it really is so heavenly minded. It is no earthly good sometimes um, I've been in some of those churches and have been a part of them and and mm-hmm. feel that at the same time that when I look at like free church it would be something that would be very enticing because it'd be cool yeah so tell me a little bit about that how do you flesh that out then with your friends that might come in well I think like for me I think it is important that we kind of like draw them in and like mm-hmm. I know the church is for the believers but how do the believers get there we have to start somewhere kind mm-hmm. of and I think um, next level where we have like the youth kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's a great standpoint, like start starting point. And like um, I think it's important. So first we kind of have to draw them in, which we do with playing uh, Christian music mm-hmm. that has little beat to it and stuff like that. So it kind of like draws them in. And then we have to trust in God that like through the music, God comes to them or knocks mm-hmm. on their heart or whatever. Right. And we kind of have to trust because, like, the worship music was written with Jesus in mind. Mm-hmm. And, like, the words, when they wrote them down, hopefully <clears throat> the person that wrote them down had God with them. And, like, him, <laughs> well, right. helping right. them with the music and stuff like that. Right. So we kind of have to trust in God, too. And I think, like, um, so we kind of draw them in the first time with this cool concept. It's, like, concert every Friday. It's It's cool. You can sit home, eat popcorn and watch a movie or you can come here and have fun with friends and yeah after a while you start to be like oh this is kind of more than that this is actually a church and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think like the second time or the third time and like i've seen this like people who weren't christian but they came because they thought it was a cool place mm-hmm. and then after a while they kind of realized like like maybe the few times they were listening to the speech and they weren't listening they were on their phone and suddenly one time they were listening and they were like kind of like whoa this mm-hmm. is actually so cool. Or this is guy called <coughs> Jesus that loves me. I didn't know that. And yeah. I think that's important because I think being dragged like on a Sunday to church, like if I would take a friend, like even I would probably fall asleep with them because well, I'm not a morning person. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I get that that was like what they did before. And I get that that works for some people. But I think mm-hmm. like um, people our age today kind of need more. Mm-hmm. 
and we we are like stimulated is what you say mm-hmm. by um church on sunday yeah. i think that's why having one of those kinds of churches is important mm-hmm. and that we do those kind of things because i think we need to draw people in i think we want everyone to come to christ and we want everyone to meet jesus because well that's part of being a christian because we're so lucky that we have jesus ourselves we kind of have to give a little bit and see that other people also can so i think yeah it's important for me and yeah i will agree like there's a story that at one of the churches where uh there's a there was a girl who turned into the church just because like it was it was like i'm gonna just come i've driven by this a bunch of times and mm. it looks like like i could I'll go there and check it out. Never went into the service for four months, and but served on coffee team for for four months and heard stuff and listened to the music kind of outside, and then one day walked in, mm. and I I don't remember what the story was or what the sermon was about, but got her and mm. and hit her right where she needed to be hit, and so yeah, so I I I I, mm. I really I appreciate kind of that. Um, you, yeah. saying that it doesn't make a lot of sense that the that there is no uh, no one shoe no one size kind mm-hmm. of fits yeah. all for for people who need to hear the name of Jesus in a way that is like yeah he loves you so much he like, he left left the 99 mm-hmm. to yeah come that's after what him. I was thinking yeah. like mm-hmm. and you kind of like see how okay so there are many people who might disagree with it and stuff like that but like, like the story how Jesus, well, no, sorry, the shepherd goes to look for that one lamb when he has so many. And I think that also like kind of comes into it, how this church, if we get one person, then we've done the job. This is good. Like it's a good starting point. And then of course we want more people, but just having some that it kind of catches, I think that yeah. makes I it think worth it. It's like we're, you have the worship and you get them there. Mm. And a lot of it can be up to God, trusting God to work on their heart. Like that mm-hmm. lady, you know, she worked on the coffee team and then one day she just had a feel to go in and hear what it was about. But I think a lot of it is up to us too, who invite them. I mean, right. inviting them is probably the biggest, yeah. the biggest yeah. um, thing at first. Mm. But I mean, it also is up to us to like, you know, Ask them what they, what is it that they believe? What is, um, mm. how can we help them? And mm. show, show God's love through us, and show that we are, there is mm-hmm. something different about us because we have, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus. And it's up to us, um, even us being on the worship team to portray mm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One of the interesting things I think within the worship team, and even talking to some of the the guys that played at Substance, I didn't get the chance to talk to the team at Substance, but I know a couple of them, and then talking to the the group at Eagle Brook, is that the worship team goes out. And I think for sometimes, for us in, in a church that would become from maybe more of a traditional perspective, we have a sense that people come to the church, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So when we think about, like the parable, then the, the one in the 99, right, I think Jesus tended to the 99 and they were growing, right? They were safe. They were growing. They were, I don't know. I mean, we could take that. They were still terrible. lost sheep probably. But, yeah. Right? But they were being tended and yeah. Right. But they were taken care of. And I think <coughs> from um, maybe more of a traditional perspective, uh, we would look at it and say, uh, you shouldn't diminish the 99 mm-hmm. with music that 
music or a sermon that is feel good and doesn't drive them deeper into life because we're only seeking to get that one lost sheep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But I think what we see is Jesus tending to the 99 and then going out and getting the one lost, right? And I, what I've seen within kind of the model of worship at Hillcrest, and it kind of reflects this a little bit down in Eagle Brook and uh, Substance too when you guys went to visit, is that all of the members of the worship team are involved in the music scene in Minneapolis. And so church is a place where they come back to. So it's easy for them to say, hey, dude, you know, would you be able to play bass and whatever? Like, come in, come back to church with me, or I think you'd like this, or, you know, run lights here, or whatever. Like, you kind of get, it's easy to get involved. And what I've seen here, too, with outdoor worship or different things like that is there's kind of a sense of, okay, now we're going to take this music ability and go out. And Paul did that when he went to the Areopagus and came back into the church and started preaching in the church and he goes to the Areopagus and then people start to understand the gospel more. So when you think about this and maybe kind of to close thinking through this, um, give me a perspective. We've talked a little bit about church kind of as and worship as kind of an evangelistic tool, but maybe help me understand a little bit how you've grown like in your confidence in Christ. I feel like I've grown a lot, actually. And I think uh, it started, like, in Norway when I started worship team. I think before I started worship team, I was in the church, but I was one of the people who maybe didn't listen all the time and was kind of just like, oh, I'm here because, oh, my dad made me. And <laughs> I'd rather be on that sleepover or <coughs> that birthday party, but no, I have to be here. And kind of a lot, like, grumpy and stuff like that. And I remember my dad and I, like, talked about it and we kind of had a fight because I was like, I don't want to be there anymore. Like, ah, it's not for me, maybe, I don't know, and stuff like that. And that that's when he kind of was like, okay, um, we need to get you into the church. Because I think that was important. And I think we do that in our church. We try to get people in. Mm-hmm. So then I started worship team. And, well, something just kind of clicked. And I think, for me, when I worship, I that's when I feel close to God. Like, I love, like, hearing people preaching and stuff like that. But when I worship or hear worship, that's when I'm like, yes. And kind of like that. So that's kind of how I feel like I've grown. And then I hope to grow more. Like I remember when we were in the worship tour, like how I want to learn like how to pray on stage, yeah. being confident, like praying on stage, not thinking about like, oh, what am I saying now? Or is this perfect stuff? And I just kind of just like pray. For me, um, I would definitely say that, like I said, when I first started off, anything in church, singing guitar, whatever it was, it was with my sister. And before we went up, like, Probably the best thing she's ever contributed to my life. Um, <laughs> this is pretty bold, buddy. <laughs> was um <laughs> just the idea. She she came to me and you know she was like, all right, let's pray about this like before we go up, you know. And then she was like, and just like when you go up, like you're nervous, but like you just have to realize that it's, like it's not about you, mm-hmm. how good you do. It's mm-hmm. about showing everybody mm-hmm. how good God is, and that's all it is. Like so. Yeah. It, oh it was so much it's so much easier once you can get past that point Mm -hmm. i think and so as i see myself maturing and growing in my faith and in my worship um it has a lot to do with growing in my skill i guess because the more the better i get a guitar the less i have to focus on and the more i can focus on god but um Mm -hmm. it's just yeah as i when i go up on stage and like when i go and i pray in front of you know the school just to end chapel whatever it is it's just like I'm focusing on God. I'm sh- I'm showing them God. It's mm. not about me, how good I do, how if I mess up here, it's just, it's so much easier if you're just focusing on God yeah. and not yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with memorizing and like all the tips that we got at the churches. And so I definitely think I am growing a lot in my um, worship life and mm-hmm. my faith with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. And both, both of those are nice because <clears throat> that come some of my biggest takeaways too. And I know that um, we had talked about on the way home um, the, the biggest takeaways and some of them were that when you're like substance, they're kind of their onboarding process. They're like, this isn't a worship class. This is a, a leadership class, yeah. right? This is a, mm-hmm. a cohort to kind of um, help you be comfortable so that you can lead well. Mm. And, and so you don't have to be the best singer. You don't have to be the best musician. You just have to go up there with a posture of, of leading the congregation into the presence of God and letting God be the focal point of, of, of that service and, and preparing hearts to hear the message and just uh, you know, welcoming others into basically a conversation between you mm. and you and your heavenly father. Right. And so yeah. I just, I loved, uh, I loved those conversations that we got to have about um, just how do we do that part better so that we can not be a distraction for, um, for the people that, um, that we're trying to just usher into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for taking some time. No Thank you. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. <laughs> While the worship teams were going on their tour, I had the opportunity to take the Evangelism Club down to Minneapolis to ride the light rail. This is a practice that we've done for a few years now where we take students and we equip them throughout the course of the year to give the gospel through just meaningful conversations with different people. So it's in this real world setting that we equip students to have and engage meaningful conversations with the goal of presenting Christ, whether it's through meaningful love and encouragement to people as they're going through difficult times or are excited about life, or maybe it's to answer some really deep and hard questions that they might have, but nobody's really engaged them in. I apologize for the audio. You'll hear the rumbling of the road as we drive down to Minneapolis, but this is some honest conversation that was happening in the truck, and I thought it might be fun for you to hear some of the ways the students are being encouraged, pushed out of their comfort zones, and are really thinking deeply about how they can communicate the gospel to the world that's around them. Depending on how you want to do it today, I'm cool like riding a light rail with you if you feel more comfortable with it. Um, like I said last year, the guys were like, you know, we're going to have to do this on our own. And without you, kind of like being an encouragement, thumbs up in the back corner. <laughs> so um, so what I did is I just went to a coffee shop um, in the Mall of America and I just sit and chat with people. So when, when that happens, then it's kind of a little bit more like, hey, I had a question or I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Or, um, you know, kind of like a, hey, can I ask you a question? What do you think about all the shootings that are happening? Like, why do you think those happen? I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm a high school student. A lot of people around the country walked out of school, and it was really interesting. But do you think that that really does anything? Because everyone has an opinion on that. Yeah, true. And then you start to have these conversations about, like, do you think that those, that it really is mental illness? It costs people to shoot? Is it evil? Is it the fact that they have access to evil that causes them to do that? And so then you can kind of start to walk down some of those other paths just by having natural conversation. So because you're a student, you can, you kind of, it's interesting when you put somebody else in that place of like the, 
kind of the, the person that you're seeking to glean wisdom or knowledge from. And when you put them in that place, you're trying to understand their opinion. Another kind of way that I've broken the ice before is, like when I've been down in Minneapolis, and you guys are all from different parts, either of, like, Abbey of the world or of the state or whatever. Yeah. And you could say, hey, you know, I'm visiting Minneapolis, and uh, one of the things I like to do is try to get to know what people in different parts of the world think. Like, I'm trying to get to know this culture, this neighborhood, or whatever. And because where I'm from, you know, for me, if I was going to go down that route of, like, the school shootings again, I would say, well, where I'm from, everyone has a gun. Like, the farmers have it on their back window. Like, they just, it's just always around. So I don't think of guns as a weird thing. What's it like here in this city? And you could just kind of ask them, like, help me understand this culture. Yeah. Um, but it kind of depends on different topics that you might be interested in. That's a yeah. hot button right now I think that everyone has an opinion on. It's really easy to start up. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Like that approach? I think it's amazing. <laughs> think it's amazing? Or easy or what? I don't know. It just, it just breaks the ice and everything. I don't know. Like, it's not, you don't start out like God. Suddenly, right. like a Mormon person, and it's yeah. like a different approach. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing—it's kind of the theme that we've been going through this year in chapel too, like creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. But oftentimes, it's it's more easy to start at the fall because you're you're saying we're all in this crappy kind of soup together. Like this, the world bites sometimes. Um, you know, you can use your own experiences and kind of enter that. Um, I've seen people that'll kind of say, you know, um, so where are you from? Like that'll just be kind of how they started. I'm from, then you say, well, I'm from, you know, Japan or I'm from, you know, Northern Minnesota. Um, yeah, we're just down here kind of visiting. My teacher brought us down <laughs> and, uh, now I'm just kind of venturing out into the city to see what the city's like. So tell me a little bit, like, what's your family like down here? Because my family back home is really big. You know, you can start talking about that, and then you can start talking about, like, some of the things that maybe you are unique about your family, or maybe things that you've struggled with. Um, you know, we have, like, uh, when I was in New York City, this lady was talking to me, and I said, through all the kind of the course of it, I just asked her where she's from and what she did. She was like 80 years old, and she used to work at the VA clinic and whatever. And then I said, oh, that's really interesting. I uh, don't know if I could live in this city because I have six kids. She's like, you have six kids? So then, <laughs> the course of conversation, she goes, yeah, I never got married and had any kids because, well, and then she was like, have I told you this story before? She's like, well, I'm a, a good Catholic, and good Catholics probably wouldn't think this, but, yeah, yeah, right? She's yeah. like... Uh, but I never was really physically attracted to any male to want to marry them. And, and then I said something to the effect of, well, I don't think that's necessarily a good or bad Catholic. I think that's just the way that God's made us. That When Adam came forward and he saw Eve for the first time, he said, whoa, man. And then he tried to cover it up by like, oh, yeah, because you came out of man. That's what that means. 
like he was some kind of chauvinist, right? And so I was kind of playing along with her. And then I said, well, what do you think the purpose of like family is? Like, if that's how humanity started, what is the role of family? And so we started talking about it, just kind of dominoed. <laughs> but you can always ask somebody's opinion and you don't have to give like facts for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just because they're, they might not have an opinion that matches with reality, that doesn't mean that they're like, you have to jump on them and say, well, you're wrong. Yeah. It's okay for them to hold that opinion and then you can ask questions about that. So what do you do if, or this is a little bit of a controversial question, so you don't have to answer it, but, and then ask that. That might be another way to do it. Does that help, Abby? Yeah. But what would be something that you would feel that you could, that you would, that you think is an interesting or like very compelling um, kind of proof or draw for God to exist in the world? Family. Family? Yeah. Why do you say that? Okay. Well, I mean, the whole structure of the family is based on the character of God in the sense that you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, just as you have the Father, the wife, and the children. And um, you can see in Genesis, I mean, the first, I mean, God created a family. I mean, he started with Adam, but he didn't end with Adam. He ended with the family. And, I mean, children oftentimes are better, like, mentally and In society, they do better when they're raised by both their parents and their thoughts, that kind of way. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way. So how would you engage somebody to talk about that? I don't know if I would start there. Yeah, start to talk to somebody maybe about what they do in Minneapolis and then how you want to go into yeah. family counseling and yeah. and then maybe ask them what they think the basis of a family I mean, is. Yeah, like, why do we have... Is there a, yeah. is there an order for a family? Right. Um, because I've studied this with a little bit more understanding. You have some pretty good understanding, but like the... There's a lot of studies that show that kids just do better in a in a home with a mother and a father. And there's a new, and did Mr. Isaac show you that study in ATT? There's a, a lady that <clears throat> wrote a book. She's a, um, she leans left politically. And she wrote a book about how she's a counselor for families. And she says, essentially, that if you're a, if, if you're a gay couple, one of you has to assume the role of the opposite sex for your kids. So she says, essentially, like, she counsels and coaches. If it's two men, one of you has to take a more nurturing, uh, uh, kind of feminine role in your parenting for your kids. Because statistically, or not st but psychologically, it changes how students, how kids, um, it changes like the, the the way that their brains develop. It changes their behavior, uh, obviously from kind of as a result of the brain development. Right. She has this concept called the the fourth trimester, where she says the first three trimesters are really important for for a child with their mother. And she talks about this thing called the fourth trimester, where the baby's out of the womb, and for the next six to nine months, which isn't a trimester, but yeah. she says that the the baby 
uh, for sure in the first three months and then kind of continuing on. The baby needs to have an emotional connection with a caregiver that's going to be nurturing. And so when a, when a mother has a newborn and the newborn's crying, she, she talks to the newborn in a way that is very soothing. So it's like, oh, honey, you're doing okay. You're, you can get through this. And that tone is different than a father would take where the father might be, oh, come on, buddy, pick it up. And those two tones, they, she's shown psychologically that, that it changes how the child then goes on to encounter and deal with obstacles that come later in life. So she says there needs to be a, there needs to be a difference in that. So well, if you were to kind of enter those conversations, that might be something that would say, it seems like there's a design for both a mother and a father in the family, scientifically. What do you think about that? Yeah. So you, you never have to like, like convince somebody of something. It's kind of like we talked about, your mentor, you're walking through this, uh, you worked in the in, uh, um, training for that, but there's this guy Telemachus and his dad dies. I think it's in the Odyssey. And this guy mentor comes along and helps Telemachus go find his dad, okay. and and that's where you get this idea of mentorship. But mentor then walks through valleys and rivers, and by the time Telemachus meets his dad, he's a man because mentor has walked through and taught him how to handle difficult situations, how to overcome fear, and so your role in evangelism, in my opinion, is much more like mentor, where you're never saying. Telemachus or the people you're talking to here's what you need to do you know here's A, B, C, D when you check these boxes now you're emotionally ready for life that, it doesn't work that way the Lord has caused us to be people that live in community and so we get to just say here's some things that I've found to be true what do you think and you're walking through it with them not necessarily trying to convince them that you're right that make sense? Yes. So I think that's a great idea. T take them down the role of the family. What's what do you think the role of the family is? Is there a structure to it or is there not? And uh, just kind of bring it up and say. And then you say, well, can I give you my opinion? If you haven't been able to speak, sometimes you're the other person likes to hear themselves talk. Yeah. There's studies that have been done on this that say that, um, like in meetings or if you're in a conversation. If you talk the most, if you if you get a chance to talk a lot, you feel like the meeting or the conversation went really well. They, they've done studies on this. Okay. If you don't talk, you feel like well, that meeting was okay, but it didn't it didn't go well because I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. I wasn't heard. So, in the course of our conversations, you might just ask a lot of questions, and then you get to the end, and you've never gotten a chance to express your view, and so. One way to do that would be to say, um, could I give you my opinion? Or would you care for my opinion on this? And then just to say, then you can go down, I see that there's really design and order in this with the mother, father, and then the children. It's something that I've found to come from the Christian model, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus. There's an order and structure here. So I think the family's really a proof that there's a need for God in the world. Because there's a structure as we're seeing with these kids that are developing without a mother or without a father, that it does impact them in a negative way. 
versus kids that do have a mother and father that are invested in their life. It does change things. So I, that's a that's a really interesting, I think, kind of approach. I'm excited to hear what happens. Yeah, me too. From those. So that was one of the conversations that developed on our three-hour drive down to Minneapolis. On the three-hour ride home, it was a lot more fun. The reason is the students started telling me some stories about the conversations that they had. And one of my favorite stories that came out of their time on the light rail was when one of the students walked up and asked a woman if she could sit down. When the woman said yes, the student asked, could I ask you a question? The student then said, what religion are you? And the woman was wearing a hijab. A hijab is a head covering. And the student had the idea that the woman was, was either a Muslim or had some kind of Indian background. The woman looked like she came from African descent and in her answer she told the student that she was Muslim. Three other students that were on the train were watching this conversation envelop and as they started to watch it they started to look at each other and one of them pulled out their Bible. She started thumbing through different passages. One of them that she turned to was Joshua 1.9 that talks about being strong and courageous. The student was reading the verses out loud kind of in a whispered tone so that her friends next to her could hear, but it wasn't disrupting the train. One of the friends next to her said, I've got this song that's stuck in my head. Do you mind if we sing it? And so these two students started to sing the song, Holy Spirit. Then the song goes, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And the song talks about the Holy Spirit filling a place and kind of the atmosphere around the singers. And as they were singing this, this conversation between a Hillcrest student and a Muslim was developing on the train. The Muslim lady asked a student from Hillcrest, what religion are you? The student said, oh, I'm Christian. And the student started to ask the Muslim lady some clarifying questions about Islam. The Hillcrest student asked the Muslim lady about the relationship that she had with Allah. The Hillcrest student also asked some questions about the pillars of Islam and how she knew that she had assurance and salvation. As the conversation continued to develop, the Hillcrest students that were sitting on the other side of the train that were singing these songs kind of in a hushed tone said the other train passengers that were overhearing the conversation with the Hillcrest student and the Muslim lady started to pay attention to the conversation. One of them was reading a newspaper and he lowered the newspaper and raised his eyebrow. Another gentleman sitting next to the conversation pulled out his earbud and started listening a little bit too. The Hillcrest students with their Bible open, paying attention to their friend in the conversation, said they were a little bit nervous that somebody on the train was going to stand up and tell the Hillcrest student to stop bothering this Muslim woman. They said that it felt very countercultural to the culture of the train that a Christian lady would sit down and talk to a Muslim woman. As the conversation unfolded and developed, the Hillcrest student had an opportunity to show love to the Muslim lady, encouraging her by giving her a Christian perspective of the world. When the students came back and got in the car, my first question to them was, so are you guys extroverts or introverts? Shockingly, all four students that went with me down to Minneapolis were all introverts. However, they've all been developing a strong relationship with the Lord over this last year. And they know that God is calling them to, in their own way, communicate the reality of him to the world. It's experiences like this that bring a strong capstone to the Hillcrest theme this year. We want our students to go out into the world and to bring the message of hope and restoration that's found only in Jesus Christ.
To close today, we're going to hear a testimony from Don Sinstalin. Oftentimes when students walk into our office, Don has a hard time understanding who is standing there. And so she asks the students to come and get a, a piece of candy from her candy jar. In doing that, she's able to see their face or hear their voice a little bit more so she can tell who they are. As Dawn's lost her eyesight, she's come to the realization that God is restoring her understanding of the world. I hope you're encouraged by Dawn's testimony as she shares it with us today. But today, we have uh, our very own Don Sixtelin, who will be bringing her words today. Yeah, two people. As she comes, let's pray, and uh, we'll hand over the mic to Don. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. And as we uh, hear from Don, I just pray that um, the message that she brings is is one that's from you and um, carries your gospel message, your good news for us in this idea of this truth of restoration. And so just calm her, uh, help her to communicate what she needs to communicate. Again, help us we use the language that we've been learning over the last, uh, last few months and specifically the last week. Uh, help us to be listeners and not just hearers. Help us to uh, be soft to the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Don Sitzman. Good morning. This is my first experience with a, not a handheld mic, so this is kind of weird. I can see it over here on the corner of my eye. Um, I'll try not to let it distract me. Okay, so you know that we are on our fourth leg of the um, quad of messages that we're doing this year at chapel and we're on restoration as, as Mr. Garvin said. Um, I just want to recap one verse from the fall. I know you guys are all really familiar with that story but um, Eve was in the garden being tempted and um, she saw the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which they were forbidden to eat and she saw that it was beautiful and that it would be good to eat, and that it was desirable because it would make her wise. And so she and Adam ate. And the Word of God tells us that their eyes were opened. Okay, we're going to just stop with that part right there. Um, first of all, before I even get started, I just want to thank you um, for your attention. I know that you um, are subject to a lot of voices and a lot of talking, and Sometimes I think it's easy to just feel like, oh, here's just something else. Um, one more thing to listen to. And I want you to know that I don't take for granted that you're sitting where you are, and that I see your faces looking at me, and that I know that you're listening. And I want to thank you in advance for your attention. Um, I really feel excited about what I want to say to you today, because ever since I knew I was on the schedule, on the calendar to speak for this, I've been excited about talking to you. Um, weeks and weeks and weeks I've been thinking about what I want to say this morning I was up at four going over again um, trying to trying to say this in an organized way that makes sense um, so that it's not uh, just that it's real okay and this is in my experience that I want to tell you about and I hope that you will be able to apply this to your life in a really meaningful way this morning um, what I want to do, well, first of all, um, I want to just say, I want to answer the age-old question, what do you do at Hillcrest? Um, I get asked that a lot, and uh, I have this job that's super hard to describe and define exactly what it is I do. 
And as I was thinking about it this morning and praying, I, the thing that really just came to me, if I were to boil away all of the, the little things that I do, the real bottom line, the reason that I'm here, is because I love you students. Um, any of the other things that I do, other people could do it. Um, and this is what brings me here. This is what gets me up, gets me here to this building, is because I really, really care about you guys. And um, again, thank you for listening. Okay, so the two things that I want to contrast this morning, I want to talk about what is sight and what is faith. Um, the first thing, um, when sin entered into the world, it says that Adam and Eve's eyes were open. Now you want to think of that as a bad thing, that their eyes were open, but their eyes were open before they ate the fruit, but now they're open in a different way. And what way is that way different? The way that's different is because now they're seeing good and evil, which they could have lived forever without having seen that side, but they did. And so now, um, because sin is in the world, our eyes are affected. And our eyes are the things that cause us to lust. Our eyes are the things that cause us to covet and to never be satisfied and always want more, um, and not in a good way, but just seeking, seeking, seeking more, more, more. And um, it's, the Bible calls it the sin of the eyes, the sin of pride, the pride of the eyes and of the heart. Um, um, so what I want to tell you about a little bit is my story um, about eyes. Some of you have seen me, um, those of you that know me better, know that I have some kind of an issue with my eyes, but it's kind of vague. Um, you're not really sure what it is. You've noticed that I have really big font on my computer. I have a really big font that you could probably read from there. Um, I use a magnifying glass. Um, what's wrong with my eyes is not corrected by my glasses. Basically, I wear glasses for protection for my eyes um, because I, I have some things that they're very susceptible to any kind of hit or injury. Um, <clears throat> but when I was in my probably early 40s, I was diagnosed with a progressive disease of my eyes that has since then been slowly, slowly robbing me of my vision. And apart from like divine intervention, it will eventually make me blind. And so in the beginning of this, what was really hard, you can imagine, um, you know, one day waking up and then just there's things missing and you can't see certain things. And then it progressively got worse. They treated it with steroids. Um, and when I had steroids in my body, I mean, if anybody's ever been on steroids for like poison ivy or anything like that or swelling, you know, woo, it works great. It's like, woo, now I can whatever I couldn't do before I can do now. Steroids are like magic. They also have very sad side effects. And one of them is cataracts. And so what ended up happening to me, almost overnight, people usually take a whole lifetime to develop cataracts, but I got mine within weeks. And they were so thick and so bad that I couldn't even see my own hand in front of my face. And I couldn't read. I couldn't see people. I couldn't cross the street. Um, we'd be riding in the car, and cars would come at our car, and I'd be like, <gasps> like this, because it seemed to me like they came out of nowhere. And, you know, I'd be telling my husband, brake, 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 in front seat driving, and he'd be like, honey, calm down. <laughs> I can see that. And um, for me, it was a very frightening um, loss of control. Um, you know, everybody values their eyes, right? I mean, nobody says, boy, I just wish I could go blind. Um, I was an artist. Um, I loved detail. Uh, I loved color. I loved... Um, reading, writing, things that just had been a really big part of my life have gradually become less a big part of my life. Um, 
where I'm at right now, um, I think you can put that slide up. I was just going to show you, trying to show you what I see. This is what it looks like for me um, when I look out. I think that I do a pretty good job of hiding it. Um, a lot of people don't know how bad it is. Um, right now, for me, color is muted. Faces, a lot of times, I know a few of you have probably experienced me calling you the wrong name. And sometimes it's because I forget the names because, you know, I'm old. But the other part of it is, is I can't always see who you are. And um, so there's just things like this. This is the reality of where I'm at, okay? So this is what sight looks like for me. Um, let's see, I wrote down your current situation. Oh, um, one of the, the last time I was at the eye doctor, what the eye doctor told me, because I said, you know, it's really hard for me to explain what I see, because sometimes I'll be like, what is that on the floor? And it's, you know, a box elder bug or something. And I can notice really little weird things that really are not super helpful. Um, seen box elder bugs, I would prefer to see faces if somebody gave me the choice. But anyway, so it's weird. There's like little sometimes pricks of less pixely spots where I kind of see detail. And then your brain is amazing because it kind of takes over and it helps make a complete picture for you. But the eye doctor said, explain it to people like this. Tell them it's like having a thousand piece puzzle with 850 pieces missing. So what you're always doing is, is you're looking, but your brain is having to kind of sort out what it is you're seeing. Like one day we were driving um, over behind uh, Holiday, and there was a bank there where no bank had ever appeared before. And uh, I actually kind of forgot this bank had been built. And a couple blocks away I looked and I'm like, wow, who left that big pile of black dirt there? Well, it wasn't a big pile of black dirt, it was a black roof of like a two-story bank. And, um, and I had to laugh at myself, like, <laughs> he's so stupid, I'm sure, it's a bank. We have enough banks around here. But anyway, another bank. Um, and so I'm learning to kind of laugh at some of the things that I see. Because, you know, there's things about it that aren't that funny. But, um, so what I was going to do, I'm contrasting what is sight with what is faith. Um, okay, so what is faith? Uh, the Bible tells us now faith is. Okay, so if you're wondering, what is faith? Some of you have talked about, how do I know I have faith? What is faith? Here's what it is. Faith is the substance or the stuff of things that we hope for. It is the evidence of things that aren't seen. Okay, so think about it. Faith is the substance of things that we're hoping for, and it's the evidence or the proof of things that we can't see. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So look around you right now. Everybody just kind of look around. We got mics. We got a building here. We got chairs. Everything that you can see with your eyes isn't going to last. Everything. It's all passing away. The really important stuff is the stuff we can't see. And this is where we struggle. Because along with this sin of the eyes that we have going on, we also have this deception that, well, I'll believe it when I can see it. <clears throat> kind of a prideful mentality that everything should be visible. We should be able to see it. If we can't see it, it's not real. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the real stuff, the stuff that we really should be concerned about and really pursuing is the stuff we can't see. Okay, so... What I want to say about that, um, an advantage that a blind person has versus you, okay? A blind person.
person knows they're blind. So they know sometimes they have to ask for help. Um, they might get lost, they might need direction, they might need you to read something to them or whatever, and they're, they're like, okay, I'm acknowledging that I can't see. And that's been a slow process for me. Um, there's a lot of times when I don't want to, I mean, I've actually been lost in Fergus Falls because I couldn't see the road signs. I got dropped off one time someplace in Fergus Falls, I don't even want to go into the embarrassing details, but I did not know where I was. So, we can get really easily turned around and we have to ask for help, but if you think you can see, you don't ask for help, you think you can figure it out, and this is where most of us find ourselves when we have sight. Okay, and we're walking by sight, and we're not walking by faith. Okay, so spiritually blind people are deceived. I already said that. I'm looking at my notes here. Okay, so this is something I'm going to tell you that I've never actually said out loud, and I've never said it publicly. But I want to say to you that my vision deficiency is a blessing. And it has taken me probably about 12 years to be able to say that to you, that I'm blessed and I'm glad that I can't see well. And the reason is, not because I, I don't like to see, we talked about that, I do like to see. Everybody likes to see, it'd be crazy to say you don't like to see. But what it's done for me is it's opened my eyes, the eyes of my heart, okay, in ways that, to things that I didn't really see before. Um, and I don't think everybody has to go through this to get to this point, but what I'm trying to impress on you is think about the ways that you might be blind this morning. The things that you're trusting, the things that you're depending on, that maybe aren't as real as you think they are. I want to tell you a little story. This happened, oh, a few years ago. Um, I told you that when I first started treatment with this, I developed cataracts. So in the process of this eye slide. Uh, I have had about nine eye surgeries um, and I get regular, regular shots in my eyes that are helping me keep the vision that I have. But it's still slowly, I don't drive anymore. Um, I don't read a lot. Uh, I get everything really big, but it's still a lot of work for my brain to read. But in this process, okay, I'm backing up a little bit. I'm sorry if this is a little not chronological, but I was at the height of my cataracts it was, a, it was almost like living in kind of a fog, okay? I didn't have time to get used to it, like I have now, where it's been this gradual vision loss. Um, at this point, it was like, it came on like that. And so I was sitting on the couch one day, it was a Sunday morning, and this sounds kind of weird, but this has never happened to me before, so I assure you I'm not, you know, just flooded with these visions. But I was sitting there, pretty much sightless, and I, I really feel like I had a vision from the Lord. And I was sitting in, on the couch, staring at the back of the couch, and I had this picture in my mind of a mirror. And the mirror was foggy, like um, if you're taking a shower and you don't turn the fan on and the whole mirror is just fogged up, right? And you, I was looking at, in the mirror and um, all I could see was like this shadow, like a form of a person in the mirror. And then that was it. And I didn't really think a lot about it. I wasn't dreaming. I was awake. And I just kind of dismissed it. And later I was sitting in church. And I can't even really tell you what it was the pastor was speaking about that day. Um, I was sitting there in kind of my little befuddled, foggy soup 
uh, with all the people around me, and I, I had this picture again. I, I had this picture come into my mind of this foggy mirror. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden it was like this, this fog kind of started to lift. And so then you could just see it like from the bottom of the mirror coming up, it kind of started to clear. And I saw this body, and it came up to the face, and it wasn't my face. It was Jesus. Um, and then, I mean, that was kind of the end of it. And I never told anybody about this for years because I didn't understand. I'm still not sure what it really means other than I think it was God. A little while after this, I actually read this verse. Maybe you can see what you think of this. But this verse is from 1 Corinthians, and it says, Now we see but a dim reflection in a mirror. Okay? A dim reflection, a fogged up mirror. Then, meaning when we meet Christ, then we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And when I read that, I remembered this, this picture that I had come into my mind, that this is the goal that God has for us. Um, why are we here? Why are we at Hillcrest? Why are we seeking to even have a relationship with Jesus? God wants to make you like him. He wants that picture in the mirror. He wants you to conform to this image that's Jesus. And it was just such a, I think I laugh sometimes when I think about all the phrases we use, such an eye-opening experience. Um, but I look back on this now and I see God was encouraging me, even then, that my vision, my natural vision, you can lose that but God can give you insight. He can give you faith. He can give you that ability to be something that you can't be when you're using your own eyes. Um, so, I want everybody to just look at me. If all that you see when you look at me is a person with a disability or an impending further disability, that would make everything of this struggle a waste. It would all be for nothing. Because God wants to use broken people. And every one of you is broken in some way. And what he wants to do is he wants to shine his light out through you. And through your brokenness and through your disabilities. That's the part of restoration. That's the part of redemption. Nothing's lost. The fact that I can't see as well is nothing lost. It's all gain for him if he gets the glory. If I can talk to you about having spiritual eyes, and if I can talk to you about having faith, and if some of you want to talk to me later about this and ask questions, I, my door is wide open. I want to talk to you, I want to help you understand. If through this, this experience and what I'm learning through this, if I can talk to you and it makes a difference, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I would be completely stone blind darkness if it could help you. So that's my message for you today. Um, I am going to have my two musicians come up, and I want everyone to stand. We are going to sing um, my favorite song, because I'm speaking and I got to pick it. So if you will stand with me, we're going to sing. I'll turn the mic down for that.
show. Thanks for taking some time and hearing some of the ways that Hillcrest is training students and equipping them also outside of the classroom. There's a capstone experience to Hillcrest that pushes students out. Hillcrest has a lot of opportunities that will be coming up over the next couple weeks as students are out. In fact, this next weekend, students are leaving for the Dominican mission trip. I encourage you to spend some time on our website and follow their trip. We will run a mission tour blog that you can follow on our website and hear and see some of the updates that are coming from the Dominican Republic. For more information on Hillcrest Academy, I invite you to visit our website. That's gohillcrest.com, G-O-Hillcrest.com.